Welcome to this event podcast by the George Institute for Global Health. To mark World Kidney Day, we held a special Tea with Africa webinar on Thursday, 9th of March. The webinar explored chronic kidney disease or CKD in Africa. It featured first-hand account of people living with chronic kidney disease in Zimbabwe, current efforts to improve the quality of life of people living with CKD in Africa, and identifies further opportunities for improving systems of care. This recording features highlights from the discussion. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning to all of you, and welcome um, wherever you are in the world. My name is Dr. Shrada Kotwal, and I'm very excited to host this episode of the Tea with Africa series, focusing on kidney disease, particularly given that today is World Kidney Day. I'm a kidney specialist. I'm based in Sydney, Australia, and the program head of the Renal and Metabolic Division at the George Institute for Global Health, based in um, Sydney, Australia. My research expertise is in the use of big data sets to answer important questions in conducting clinical trials using pragmatic and novel clinical designs. I say that I will talk a little bit about chronic kidney disease, just to set the scene a little bit. There are five stages of chronic kidney disease, with the final stage called end-stage kidney disease. Once people reach end-stage kidney disease, they need kidney replacement therapy, or they die. Chronic kidney disease is a global problem, and we'll hear a lot more about that as we go on today. But up to one in every 10 people have some type or stage or marker of chronic kidney disease, which is a huge number of people worldwide. Moving on to talk a little bit about the research we do. From a research perspective, at the George Institute, we're leading several trials that aim to prevent the progression of kidney disease, some that prevent the complications of kidney disease. We have expertise in cohort studies that look at measuring the number of people with kidney disease and their outcomes, and including the impact on their day-to-day lives. We have collaborations with several countries around the world, including India, China, Fiji, and with one of our speakers today in Zimbabwe. I would really like to highlight one specific one. This study was very important in highlighting to the world that there are large gaps in access to kidney replacement therapies. It's estimated that by 2030, more than 5 million people around the world will need kidney replacement therapies, but only half will be able to access them. And these numbers were particularly stark from this study for Africa, which show that sadly between 84 to 90% of people who would need kidney replacement therapies in Africa will be unable to access it. Which I think is a nice entry point into talking about the George Institute's Africa Initiative. Through our Africa Initiative, we're hoping to establish authentic and long-lasting connections with institutions and academics that work in Africa. In the chat section today, please let us know if you would like to partner with us. What we're trying to achieve with this Tea in Africa series is firstly that Africa is a continent of about 54 countries, and we do not wish to ignore the diversity on the continent. On the other hand, we we wish to acknowledge it and celebrate it. We've termed this series Tea with Africa because we want people to think of a relaxed atmosphere in which to engage with these diverse voices and scholarship from Africa. Um, This is the first of the series for 2023. So the aim of today's session is to raise awareness about chronic kidney disease in Africa, um, challenges, need for opportunities, and gauging interest around collaborative research and looking at potential approaches that could reduce the instances of kidney failure. 
Let me now introduce our panelists. So our first panelist is Dr. Rumbi, um, Rumbi Dava, who graduated with an honors degree in Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery from the University of Zimbabwe in 2003. She pursued postgraduate studies in Australia and qualified as a specialist physician and nephrologist in December, 2013. Dr. Dawa is head of the renal department at the Sally Mugabe Central Hospital and does consultant renal work at Pari Hospital. She's currently a lecturer in the internal medicine unit at the University of Zimbabwe Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences. She's also pursuing her PhD under Dr. Um, Professor Martin Gallagher at the George Institute. Our next panelist is Mr. Lysias Sibanda, who is a member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Zimbabwe with a wide range of experience in the financial sector. He has kidney failure and is passionate about causing a shift in the level of service to kidney patients in Zimbabwe through the Kidney Association of Zimbabwe and the organization he leads, B. Braun Zimbabwe Limited, spreading dialysis services throughout the whole country. Our next panelist is Dr. Cindy George, who is a senior scientist at the South African Medical Research Council and holds a PhD from the University of Stellenbosch, South Africa. Cindy's research area is centered around chronic kidney disease in African populations, focusing on characterizing the burden of CKD and examining the risk factors and underlying mechanisms associated with the disease. She was key in establishing and currently manages the CKD Africa collaboration, which is an African network of studies with renal outcomes. The aim of the network is to pool individual participant data and understand the burden of chronic kidney disease in Africa, as well as to create resources that will allow this burden to be tracked and enable CKD projections to be made in the context of Africa. To date, the network has access to more than 60,000 individual patient data from 15 countries, and more studies are in the process of enrollment. She's a South African National Research Foundation rated scientist and an Africa Oxford Fellow. So welcome, Mr. Sibanda, Dr. Dawa, and Dr. George. Um, it's our great pleasure to have you here today. Let's go into our first round of questions. So Mr. Sibanda, perhaps I could invite you to share with us what is life like for a patient with CKD in Zimbabwe and tell us about your experiences and challenges. I thought I'll be brief. For me in particular, what I've experienced is uh, more from a psychological lack of intervention, so to speak. I found kidney failure to be a source of great anxiety and uh, fear uh, for me in particular. I didn't know exactly how my life was going to change. No one was going to told me or taught me that there was no education to say, okay, fine, listen, you know what? your body is going to change this way. This is how things are going to be. Your diet is going to change this way. I think it was simply born uh, hemodialysis. That's it. And I think it's, it's just not good enough. And, uh, I've, you know, I've discovered as I've gone, as I've gone through the treatment. Of course, I've had uh, over 19 years uh, on, on uh, CKD now and uh, on hemodialysis. But uh, I've had to, to, to deal with things as they come uh, without any particular intervention from you know, the health authorities to say, okay, there's a, a psychologist or a social worker going to help you and do exactly how things are going to be and how difficult things are going to be. Because there's a, 
a lot of uh, stuff that changes, especially in the family. A lot of uh, uh, strain in, in the relationship with your family uh, because things are no longer going to be the same ever. And uh, I think the solution becomes, you know, uh, just intervention in the form of, uh, you know, kidney transplant. Because other than that, honestly, life of a kidney patient is very, very difficult because you become very susceptible to, to those diseases. They, they hit you worse than a person who is, who is actually, uh, who is not on CKD. So I thought I would just uh, limit it to, to psychological uh, intervention. Uh, there are a lot of other things, obviously, which I can talk about, but in the interest of time, I thought I would limit myself to that. Um. Thank you, Mr. Sabanda. I might come back to you in a bit and move on to asking Dr. Dava um, to tell us a little bit about, a bit more about what is kidney disease and from her perspective, what the challenges and needs are to dealing um, as a kidney specialist in Zimbabwe. It's important to highlight why chronic kidney disease is so important. If we look at some of the studies that have been done in sub-Saharan Africa, um, it's estimated that the prevalence of kidney disease is about 13 13%. And if we look at a country like Zimbabwe, that translates to about 2 million um, people who are at risk of developing chronic kidney disease. Once people get end-stage kidney disease, it is quite expensive um, to treat. We actually found that in Zimbabwe, the patients who've got end-stage kidney disease and are on dialysis are quite young. So the average age is 53 years of age. And um, if we compare that with other developed with developed countries, we can see that this is a very young dialysis population, and these are people who should be uh, in the community uh, with their families, being productive, and yet they're spending a majority of their time um, on dialysis. So I think thinking of some of the challenges, certainly one of the major things is policies. So there's um, a lack of data to actually drive uh, policy formulation in terms of um, chronic kidney disease management, renal replacement therapy. And at the moment, we actually don't have a dialysis policy in the nation to guide clinicians. The government has come up with a policy to say renal replacement therapy is free. So that started in July 2018. But it's only the dialysis that is free and patients still have to pay out of pocket for lab tests, for um, any medications. And that's only within the public sector. And even then the resources are not enough to cover for the number of patients that we have to treat. There's a lot of um, deficit in terms of the staffing. And I think Mr. Sibanda highlighted quite, quite strongly that we don't have the other allied health staff, the psychologists, the social workers. So it's not just about patients coming into a unit and maybe getting dialysis, but there's a lot of teamwork that needs to occur in terms of managing our patients. Thanks, Dr. Tara. I might now invite Dr. George to talk about the CKD Africa um, collaborative experience about around research. Thank you so much. I just quickly wanted to focus on this sort of this disproportionate risk of CKD in Africa that is sort of mainly driven by the, the high and rising prevalence of hypertension and type 2 diabetes. To add to this risk, we also have this high burden of, of infectious diseases and, and a genetic predisposition to CKD. 
So as Dr. Dawa just mentioned, as Africans, we are actually affected at a much younger age and we have a more rapid um, progression to, to kidney failure compared to other populations. However, we have found that um, awareness of CKD remains very limited in Africa and a large proportion of people with CKD, and these are usually the people sort of in the early stages of CKD, go undetected and generally people are only diagnosed um, sort of when renal replacement therapy is required. Screening those at high risk for CKD should actually become a priority. So when I speak about the high risk groups, I'm here referring to people with diabetes and hypertension, but also people with, with pre-diabetes and elevated blood pressure. As we've shown in a research study that um, one in five people at risk of diabetes, so these are people not yet classified as being diabetic, have um, CKD. And we found that the majority of these individuals were in the early stages, so stage one and stage two. So through screening people um, at risk of, of developing CKD, one can then identify and then manage uh, the disease early and in this regard, delay the progression to end-stage kidney disease and thus the need for, for dialysis. Thanks, Dr. George. So perhaps, Mr. Sibanda, you could share with us how you responded to some of the challenges um, that you mentioned earlier around family strain and the psychological distress of needing to be on dialysis. For instance, uh, if you are on uh, uh, peritoneal dialysis, uh, your wife has to be involved in terms of, uh, you know, connecting you to the machine. You really feel that you are really burdening uh, your spouse with something that uh, she shouldn't uh, be getting involved in. So there's a feeling of guilt to say, okay, fine. The, the incapacity to do anything at home, mm -hmm. uh, to, to persist. So it's something that uh, really you feel is, is, is a burden on the relationship uh, with the family. But uh, one wonders uh, exactly how we can do this. I think uh, maybe some social uh, psychological intervention to, to, to teach uh, the spouses to, to understand that, look, this is how you have to live with the uh, person uh, with that condition. I think that would be of assistance, but that is never available at all. There are times when, uh, obviously, you can get into uh, situations where you get very sick and you're admitted into hospital. I tell you, it's, 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 it's a bad time for family because really the, the, they, they, they are not very hopeful in terms of uh, uh, you continuing to be alive. So it, it's something that's very difficult for everyone. So CKD is not a job. Thank you. I think that's it's very eye-opening what you're describing. Um, so I might move on to uh, inviting Dr. George to talk about how we could or how you have responded to some of the challenges you mentioned. Yeah, it's actually very disheartening listening to, to Mr. Sibanda and, and again, like awareness, 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 and it's very important. And also looking at, as I mentioned, the risk factors for CKD. So even before you get to the point of dialysis, there are things we can do. We can raise awareness of, you know, for example, people that have hypertension, that have diabetes or are at risk of these diseases you know, on medication, are they taking the medication, are they, are they blood pressure and the glucose um, levels, 
managed. Um, we can do all of these things to sort of try and reduce the progression of this disease and the devastating effects that it has. Because in, in actual fact, if an individual reaches end-stage renal disease, it's very difficult, as Mr. Sipanda mentioned, to get a transplant. And even the whole setup of going for dialysis. I mentioned we established yes, yes. these... CKD Africa collaboration, which is an African network of studies with renal outcomes. We aim to provide reliable estimates to, de to determine or to develop policy solutions to address the consequences of CKD in Africa and also to inform health service um, planning. So in addition to the obviously the scientific outcome, this network is, an, is, in, is in a unique position to provide ev evidence that could um, inform health service policies and guidelines in Africa. We have access to just over 60,000 individual participant data, and this comes from 15 different countries. We also have, it's actually now close to 60 um, investigators that are part of this collaboration. Thanks, Dr. George. Perhaps I could now invite Dr. Tawa to tell us um, about how you think we could, how you have responded to some of these challenges and what we can do to help. So I think one of the things that I've found that has really helped is my um, affiliation with the university. So in terms of teaching, particularly undergraduate and postgraduate teaching, um, which means that the younger crop of doctors are more aware of chronic kidney disease. I think um, Dr. George highlighted the issue about, um, you know, further research data and particularly in Zimbabwe, we need our own local data that will help to guide some of those policies that we need to put into place. And even access to basic screening tests, um, urinalysis, for example. Um, I've worked in certain institutions where you can't get a urinalysis. Um, and so these are you know, things that seem so simple, but are quite difficult and challenging to get at some point. And I think Dr. George already highlighted our high-risk populations. We are not managing the high-risk patients well um, in terms of follow-up of patients who are diabetic or who have hypertension. And we also have the, the added burden of HIV in our communities. And we know that some of the treatments that we use for HIV can have you know, quite deleterious effect on the kidneys. So for example, we still use um, uh, TDF, um, the form of tenofovir, which we know is linked with um, kidney disease. So there are certain things that we really need to, to do better in terms of managing our high-risk populations. Um, thanks, Dr. Dawa. One of the, um, the key messages, I guess, that's coming across to me really is around the lack of policies or lack of services. Um, and do you all have thoughts on, you know, who should drive this policy change? Um, Dr. George, um, would you like to comment? I think we all have a hand in this. So as the patient, as the physician, as the scientist, as the government, we all need to partner. And I think we should partner from the get, sort of from the get-go. Um, to, to, to try and try and get to the bottom of this. 
I agree it should be at a level of, of, of government to change policy in order for things like dialysis, who gets dialysis, who doesn't get dialysis, who pays for it, um, needs to be addressed. So I do agree it, it needs to come from that level. And I do think that we all need to, to sort of hold hands and try and sort this out. Work together. Um, Dr. Tava, perhaps I could invite you to comment. Um, thanks to have an impact in terms of um, shifting the, the current uh, setup. We need the information. So for example, when um, in 2018, uh, dialysis was uh, made free in the public sector, um, they didn't then factor in some of the other things that come with dialysis. So we now had patients who had no financial resources to then pay for the blood tests that are required for dialysis. So they would come to the unit, get dialysis. And then at the end of the month, we say, well, we need some blood tests um, and they can't pay for those blood tests or we need to put you on certain medications which they can't afford. So it needs to really be a holistic approach to the management. So we can't just say, the renal replacement therapy is free without actually also giving some of the support services that are required. Um, and then also looking at policies around uh, management of patients who've got hypertension, who've got um, diabetes. So the Diabetes Association has been very vocal in terms of um, explaining to government the, some of the challenges that they are facing as diabetic patients and at some point, they even managed to lobby for insulin and other medications to come in at a subsidized rate. So I think there is a role also for um, the patients themselves to have a voice and to speak to speak clearly about these challenges um, and to lobby government about certain things um, that pertain to them um, directly. Because you can see from Mr. Sibanda's experiences that from a patient's perspective is very different from what I think as a clinician. So it needs to have, you know, all the different voices speaking um, and lobbying government to implement some of these changes that are required. I couldn't agree more. I think that I think our, the, the patient voice is much more powerful than I think our patients realise. So I might go to the Q&A now. Um, I have a question here from Patiti um, who wants to know um, if you could comment about gestational diabetes and CKD. And perhaps that's best directed to Dr. Tawa. Um, So is this in terms of screening? Um, yes, I think, because the follow-up question is, given the predisposition, isn't it prudent to start from the prevention from pregnancy for CKD and gestational diabetes, presumably? Um, so certainly there, there is screening that is done during pregnancy, but I think... Um, Dr. George highlighted some of the challenges that we have. We have uh, patients who present unbooked and in labor. So they've not even had any antenatal care. Um, and we have, you know, challenges, even like I said, sometimes getting the urinalysis strips in some of our uh, public institutions. So the knowledge certainly exists, but not necessarily sometimes the resources that are required um, to undertake some of these um, um, management or screening uh, procedures. Thank you. Um, 
The next question is from Professor Mark Woodward, who's asking about sex differences in CKD care in Zimbabwe, and if you could comment on that. Um, so thank you, Prof Woodward, and thank you for greeting me in my local language. <laughs> um, so in the study that we did looking at dialysis prevalence, um, it was interesting that um, in patients who are on hemodialysis, 70% were male and 30% were female. Um, but when we looked at peritoneal dialysis, it was the other way around. There were 60% females and 40% who are, who are males on peritoneal dialysis. So yes, certainly there are um, sex differences in terms of care in patients who, who are on end-stage kidney disease. And we are trying now to look at the data for chronic kidney disease. That's very interesting, thank you. Um, in, um, if I can comment, the data in Australia is, I think 60% male receiving kidney replacement therapy or dialysis and 40% female. There's one more question. Does Zimbabwe have policies to tackle the risk factors Dr. George mentioned, high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes, action on use, availability of salt, sugar, and junk foods that lead to obesity? So unfortunately, currently we, we don't have policies that um, speak to, to management of, of those issues. So again, it's, it, it is one of the, the areas that we, we certainly need to work on. So I think that's the end of all the questions I've been told. I haven't missed any now. Um, so I might move to um, the closing remarks. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you to our, a special thank you to our panelists um, and particularly to Mr. Sabanda for sharing some um, very difficult experiences with us. Um, you left me at a loss for words through most of it. So, but I really appreciate that you shared them with us. Um, to try and bring this all together, I think message one, two, and three are awareness, awareness, awareness of chronic kidney disease. Um, I think, um, and then message four and five are probably that we need more data in this space. As a group, as the CKD um, Africa Collaborative um, and all of us at the George Institute, particularly the renal team, are very excited to work with you um, and try and help to address some of these very challenging issues um, that face, face us going forward. Um, and I think probably the last is how to get data and policy and government change. And I think policy and government change, um, it, we've seen some examples of it. It's happened um, in India a few years ago. There has been bits and bobs of universal health coverage, particularly looking at dialysis coverage. There's, um, we've worked, we've done some work in Fiji um, along those same lines. So I think we can do it. Um, but we we'll probably all have to work together in order to do it together. Thank you for listening. You can watch a recording of the full event as well as listen to our other podcasts on the website of the George Institute for Global Health.